0: It's Ty Power's Bigfooty final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Bigfooty final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.
1: Corp is coming in gold and a world record. Ian Corp, the birth of a legend.
2: 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world's record. 3 minutes to...
0: Fall in test cricket in England for Shane Morton. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. Australia have got it! Australia is back on the biggest stage. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. Hello and welcome
2: to This Is Your Sporting Life. Today, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, we celebrate a football career which had it all. Greg Wells grew up a die-hard demon who went on to captain the club while also winning a place in its star-studded team of the century. A shock switch to Carlton saw him part of one of the VFL's most successful sides and a premiership rounded out his time as a player. One of the game's most talented centremen, Wells played 267 games and booted 275 goals before retiring in 1982. Greg, welcome to the program.
1: Well, oh, thank you very much,
2: Sam. Tough question to open the batting with, I reckon. Are you a demon or a blue? Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> it is a tough question, but I'm a
1: demon. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, there's a big spot in my heart for Carlton. Don't worry about that. And there's a lot of people in... Uh, my family, the barracks of Carlton.
2: Your interest in football these days, all these years after you hung up the boots, as I say, what's it like? Is it as passionate now as what it's ever been? Uh,
1: my passion? Yeah. Um, no, not really. I think, yeah, uh, I think if you're out of the game for a considerable amount of time, I think, like I love watching it. I don't go to the football very often. Um, I don't go to many functions at, at all. Uh, I look, I, like, I do like watching it. I watch Carlton. I watch Melbourne. But, yeah, the passion isn't there as it was, say, 20-odd 20, 20 years ago.
2: Well, when you did have that passion some 20, 30, 40 years ago, you liked it pretty hard and tough. Now, having recently turned 70, Greg, how's the body holding up after such a long career?
1: No, it's not too bad. You know, I've got probably a lot of the, lot of the issues that um, running players and so forth had. I've had an ankle replacement, a knee replacement, um, had a number of arthroscopes, a uh, bit stiff in the back of the you know, but uh, I'm getting by okay.
2: You, as I said, grub barracking for the Demons and in that time, in the 50s and 60s, I mean, they were glory days for the club, weren't they? What was it like? growing up, barracking for the red and the blue?
1: Yeah, well, I came from a Melbourne area. I came from the uh, East Bentley area and um, the local news agency was a mad uh, Melbourne supporter, Bill Richardson, and he used to take me along to Melbourne games and he'd he'd throw me in the rooms and go to the bar for beers and and I can remember vividly uh, being about a seven or eight year old, um, standing behind Barassi and John Lord and they used to throw the football against the brick wall in the change rooms there and every time they missed it I'd be behind them grabbing it and giving it back to them so uh, I I just loved Melbourne and uh, I think one of my ambitions was to be a footballer and and to play for the Melbourne Football Club and I'd always say to um, my mother and father that I wanted to be a dustman because in those days the the dustman used to run behind the truck, pick up the bins, run after the truck, throw them in and they're all very, very fit blokes. And I thought, well, if I could be one of those blokes, I could play football.
2: What was their response to that career um, goal and ambition? <laughs>
1: oh, I think there was a bit of a smirk and a bit of a laugh. But, uh, you know, they didn't, they didn't dwell on it too much. They, they well, reminded me of it many years later, though.
2: <laughs> it's no shame in that profession either. And you're right, a number of footballs have done it over the journey, though, haven't they? While they are yeah, yeah. playing, Greg, to stay fit.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right, you know. I think you gotta get you gotta get an edge somehow. So Where
2: where did you play your junior footy, Greg, as a kid? Uh
1: the Bentley McKinnon Youth Center, uh, right up until the under thirteens, and then from the under thirteens I went into the Bentley Federal League, under fifteens. And uh from the under fifteens I went across I got an invitation to play with Melbourne Colts. They had an under seventeen at that stage and I didn't want to leave Bentley federally but my father coerced me into going across there with a bribe, he said for every kick you get I'll give you um, 10 cents or something like that I think it might have been pounds, shillings and pence then too, so it was a dina or whatever it was and uh, I finished up getting 35 kicks in a practice game and the rest is history, I I went on to play with the Melbourne Colts and then uh, from there up through the ranks
2: yeah, and you touched on it, didn't you? Because that was right in the heart of Melbourne's recruiting zone, wasn't it?
1: Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. I so, was on the borderline of Richmond and Carlton and uh, Melbourne, actually.
2: Okay, uh, how close to the Richmond border were you?
1: So I just uh, just uh, on one side of the street.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> you you ended up at the Demons, of course, your beloved Demons. Your first game, we spoke about Carlton earlier. Your, your debut came against the Blues. Now, uh, we make a lot of um, positive debuts these days, Greg. Your one reads very well on paper: twenty touches and four goals.
1: Yes, yeah, that was my first game. We, well, I think we we're on the bottom of the ladder. Cart we we're on top, and we uh, we knocked them off. So um, that was uh, yeah, that was a memorable game for myself.
2: Can you recall the day itself, the morning running out, the nerves, the excitement of a debut?
1: Yes, I can. I was very nervous. Um, I think. Uh, I think they record me as having number 55 or something like that. That was the jumper I was supposed to wear. And uh, Jim Carble came down into the rooms just before the game and he said, oh, we can't have you wearing that number. He said, take this one, number 11. And I proceeded to put it on back to front. And uh, so we had to do that twice. And I finished up putting it on and uh, I, I, I was number 11 from then on.
2: Putting it on back to front, they were nervous. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I was pretty nervous. My first game, I was only 18 or something. So, um, yeah, it was uh, uh, pretty exciting.
2: So you, oh, jeez, you were written up as such. And my memories of watching some of the vision of you are certainly this. You were tough, you were bullocking. You were, you were a pretty good mark for your size too, a goal-kicking midfielder as well as we touched on. Were you Dustin Martin before Dustin Martin, Greg?
1: Oh, look, oh, you, you, <laughs> no, um, I think he, he, he's probably been a fair bit taller, too. He's a very, very good footballer. No, I never compared myself against I didn't even watch myself play, so I don't even know how I played, really. Um, I never watched many replays or, you know, watched, I still don't to this day. So, um, look, I, I could get a lot of the ball, and uh, I was a fairly good kick on both sides of my body. Uh, I was reasonably quick. Um, yep. So I got a bit older, perhaps. <laughs> uh, but no, it's, um, yeah, I look like I just wouldn't compare myself with anyone else. But uh, it, yeah. look, I, I played some good footy.
2: So, at the risk of embarrassing you, what do you, th- you feel your chief attribute was when you look back on your career? What was the thing that when you ran out, you thought was your little ace up the sleeve?
1: Um, my ability to read the play, I guess. My ability to get to where the ball was. Um, perhaps speed over the first ten or fifteen, um, I think um, that sort of uh, fared me fairly well for my football career, and uh, I was able to take a, a, a good mark for my size.
2: And you clearly loved to snag too, more than a goal a game on average out of the midfield's not bad going.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, well, it, yeah, well, that's, I was a, sort of a running player, you know, sort of do the one-two kick. Straight pass for the handball, <laughs> bank, try and kick a goal. But um, you know, so um, they don't play that brand of footy now. It's a sort of um, you know yep. a quick, long game. It's sort of head to sideways, backwards, frontwards. Just control the ball, make sure you you use the ball, get it to your teammate, um, keep control all the time. So yeah, I think the footy's a fair bit different. Yeah,
2: well, defensively, teams do everything they can now to stop those one-twos, don't they? They almost prioritise it.
1: Yeah, well, that's exactly right. Yeah, but you're trained trained, uh, to do the one I always remember uh, Greg Park, who played um, centre-half forward, he would grab me on the training night, and he'd say, because they did a lot of circle work in those days, he'd say, look, I'm going to run up, I'm going to operate about 80 or 90 metres in front of you, I'm going to turn around, I'm going to come back. You kick it to me, I'll handball it back, rah rah rah, and that's the way we played in the game. Um, he would lead up to me, I'd kick it to him in a game. He'd take the mark, I'd be straight past, get the handball, kick a goal. So because uh, he wasn't that good at kick, but uh, so he he knew his um, he knew his abilities, so he would always handball it off.
2: Fantastic. Uh you're listening to This is Your Sporting Life of course for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're going back over the marvelous career of Greg Wells and next we'll get Greg's memories of life in the red and blue and that 1972 Brownlow Medal count.
0: You're listening to This is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. We're chatting with former Melbourne and Carlton sentiment Greg Wells. Well, Greg, it was a very young Melbourne side that you stepped into there, wasn't it? I think there was just three players over the age of 24.
1: Oh, uh, I'm not sure of the age of the players. So are you? Um, um, I did... So, well, Tassie Johnson was our captain. Uh, there was a few players that uh, came through from that 1964 Grand Final with Johnny Townsend, I think. Kenny Empsall, Tazzy Johnson, Barry Burke. So I was lucky enough to play with all of those players, but there were a lot of younger players in the side as well. I actually debuted with um, my best man uh, at our wedding, with Danny Jennings. We both uh, managed to get uh, a game on the same day. He debuted with me, which was very good for the both of us to be able to play on the one side on the same day for the, for Melbourne. You know, it, uh, it, and to cap it off with a win, it was fantastic.
2: Was the fact, Greg, that it wasn't a successful start, I guess it was assumed that it was a club in transition and it was seen as such. I think you had six wins from 20 games in your first full season. That was 1970. So the team was trying to establish itself again, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I would think so. The, the, uh, the Well, they lost all those. Premiership players as they, you know, from, from attrition uh, as they went through, as they got a bit older and, and moved on. And they were trying to find, um, I suppose, young, new players um, to fill the gaps. And, uh, yeah, we were sort of rebuilding, but it took a long time to rebuild.
2: As a byproduct of that, potentially, there was a host of coaching changes as well. What was the club like inside the four walls, as they say? Was it an unsettled one just because of, of the changes taking place? Uh,
1: initially, when I first started there, I, I think that they were still celebrating their previous successes. And, the, and there was a good culture there, uh, a strong character, and, uh, which was passed over from all those successful players. But uh, as those players left yeah, that era, uh, yeah, look, we didn't have that. Uh, it wasn't the same feeling. We got into that loser syndrome, I guess, and you know, the blame game, and uh, when you haven't got enough good players... And you're not winning games, there's an enormous amount of pressure there. And um, you'll find that um, there's a lot of um, criticisms and, uh, as I said before, the blame game and people saying, well, he should have done that, they should have done that. I think we went through that for a number of years um, before. I think it wasn't until uh, the early 80s, 83, 84, that we really built, uh, was starting to build a very successful side And I think I've mentioned it before from 86 to 2006. I think Melbourne played in more finals than any other AFL side. Uh, But back to uh, my era in the uh, early 70s and so forth, we had a lot of coaches, a lot of changes. It was very unsettled because of a lack of success. I started off with Johnny Beckwith as coach and from Johnny Beckwith went to Ian Ridley as a coach and from Ian Ridley to Bob Skilton as a coach from Bob Skilton to Dennis Jones as a coach, from Dennis Jones to Carl Ditterich as a coach,
0: and then Carl
1: Ditterich handed the job over to uh, Ron Barassi and I left it to Carlton at that stage. So that's a lot of coaches in a a 10-year period.
2: In those early days though, Greg, despite the team just going, as you say, you quickly became a regular in Ian Ridley's teams and I think you won your first best and fairest in your third season of senior footy. So despite all the change and the the battles that the side was facing, you were able to get a foothold in the side and play some consistent footy at a pretty early stage of your career.
1: Yeah, it was... Well, I, I, in my first season, I played three games. And that was 69, the last three games of the year. Um, I'd gone straight from the under-19s into the seniors. And in uh, the second year, I was establishing myself as a player, and, and that was 1970. 1971, I think I missed uh, the first six games and was lucky enough to be able to win the best of fairest in the same year that was under under Ridley. I started to get a little bit more experience, games under the belt, and I've always said that Uh, players need games under the belt to get that confidence and so forth, to be able to play uh, to their ability.
2: 1972 season, Greg, you obviously have your best season to date, nearly 500 disposals, and you kick 34 goals, 29 behinds from midfield in what was a losing season for the Demons. Then the Brownlow medal comes around in 1972. Did you attend on the night?
1: Yes, I did.
2: How did the count pan out? I mean, when, at what stage did you think it could be a chance?
1: Oh, well, in those days, the votes, the votes were already counted and, and, and they were what you would call rigged, I suppose. <laughs> uh, but up, up, up until the last vote of the night, Len Thompson and myself were both on 22 votes with one, one vote to go, one round to go. And they kept saying, uh, G Park, Melbourne. G. Hardiman, Melbourne. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, God. And anyway, then they said Collingwood, L. Thompson. And that was uh, it was all over. He got the last mate of the night and won, won the Brownlow.
2: 22 votes you polled. Second place, obviously, as you say, just the three votes behind Len Thompson. Mm. How does that uh, night live on in the memory?
1: Um,
2: oh, I look, I ran second, um, basically. <laughs> and. Uh,
1: uh, I, I was you know, a favourite a couple of times again after that, but didn't poll as well. Um, I was starting to get a bit cheeky with the umpires, I think, after that. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, look, it's a lot more people remember it than basically I do, I think. So you're in second in the Brownlow, you know, but yeah,
2: that's doesn't really
1: matter. I mean, it's gone.
2: Some said, "Greg, that you'd actually bleached your hair to get the Ups' attention." That old um, chestnut. Is that true?
1: Oh, well, look, look, I've got to tell you the story. It,
2: you blamed it away on surfing, didn't you?
1: Well, I couldn't surf. I couldn't get out past the first breakers. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the uh, we were well, all the mates and I. We all went up to Queensland. Yeah, sun sun and surf. Girls, I suppose, we were only eighteen and um, everyone was a blonde up there. So we, we saw this product called Sun In. And my hair was always fair anyway, so I was always sort of blonde. And we sprayed the Sun In in, and we went a hell of a lot more blonder, I can tell you. And uh, that, that stayed with me for a year or so. Um, so I can probably tell the story now. So we're a bleach, sun bleached surfer that couldn't surf.
2: <laughs>
1: so, yeah, I suppose they get a, they get a tattoo now. So, um,
2: Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Up next, the coach sacking that had Greg Wells considering his future at the Demons.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives.
2: You're well, listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives, we're chatting with former Demons captain and Team of the Century member Greg Wells. Well, Greg, you and Ian Ridley had a very good relationship, but he was sacked at the end of 1973. What was the reason for his dismissal?
1: Well, really, I don't
2: uh, I don't really know. I think it was probably lack of
1: success. I mean... Um... And he was getting, uh, he was fairly anxious as well with the players. I mean, frustrated that we weren't being as, as successful as we should have been in his eyes, I suppose. Um, and the committee uh, decided that uh, they needed a change. Uh, but it was a it was a sudden uh, sudden decision. It was made, or um, well, the first we noticed, um, it was done at the best and fairest uh, count, and. Uh, Perhaps because it was so sudden and the players were caught unawares, uh, we were up in arms about it and we didn't think it was uh, fair. And um, and look, you, when you're playing at a club that's not having a lot of success, there's uh, there's a lot goes on, you know, a lot of frustration with, with players and, you know, what what they sort of think, you know, what, what are they doing here, you know, why don't we move on, whatever, because if, if it doesn't become a, an enjoyable place to be a part of, you know. I've always said that if you wake up in the morning and you want to go to work, it's a good day. If you wake up in the morning and you don't want to go to work, it's a very, very long day. And uh, I think the key to any successful organisation, club, business, or whatever, is to make sure that the people enjoy coming along to the premises and um, I don't think too many were enjoying um, the premises in, uh, in that era.
2: Well, you didn't enjoy the premises, so you actually went and joined another premises, Greg. You went and actually moved interstate for a time, didn't you? You trained at Subiaco and at Norwood as well. Were you seriously considering walking away from the Ds at that point?
1: Oh, no, 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 no. The uh, the reason I trained at uh, Subiaco, I had a couple of friends over there playing with Subiaco. I was over there on a holiday. I just, I just went over for a... Uh, a run that's all I did there and Norwood and Norwood um Norwood or was that Norwood or Sturt I think it might have been Sturt Sturt um they asked me if I would play for them and I um I, I paid them the courtesy of listening to what they had to say but um I didn't have any intention of going from uh Melbourne to South Australia and people were coming at me from every which way and um you sort of don't, uh, you, get a bit, you get a bit confused and a bit, a bit unsettled, um, especially with what's going on at the club and people being sacked and new coaches, changing new coaches, not being able to win games, uh, not enjoying the, the surroundings, so uh, you start to say, well, I better listen to these other people and um, that's what happened.
2: Well, by 75, so uh, what's that, a couple of years on, you're at the peak of your powers at Melbourne. You were a star of the VFL at this point, And the Blues, it was reported at the time, tried to offload six or seven players to get you across. That must have been flattering.
1: Well, I wasn't, under, I wasn't aware of that. What uh,
2: you've got to realise is that
1: my whole life was built around playing for the Melbourne Football Club, you know. Uh, ever since I was a child, I, I supported the Melbourne Football Club, I wanted to be the captain of the Melbourne Football Club. I wanted to play as many games as I could for the Melbourne Football Club. So really, I never, ever wanted to leave the Melbourne Football Club once I got there. Um, but, you know, it, as I said earlier, you, you do get these frustrations and everything because of changing coaches, lack of success, and, and your surroundings have got to be enjoyable. But um, uh, the Carlton one, look, I, I knew some influential Carlton supporters from on a social basis, They are always at me to go to the Carlton Football Club, but really I never ever wanted to leave the Melbourne Football Club. I used to probably give them an ear, uh, maybe not saying no at the time or something like that, but um, my intentions were always to be a a one-club player.
2: You speak about that enjoyment. Was the most enjoyable season at Melbourne 76? I think that was the best win-loss season uh, at the club in your time there, and you finished second in the best and fairest. Do you look back at that year pretty fondly?
1: Uh, 76, I, 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 yeah, look, that was a, that was a good year under Skilton. We we're very, very, very stiff. We had to beat Collingwood in the last game of 76 to make the finals, providing Carlton beat Footscray or Fitzroy, I think it was. Footscray, was it? Footscray, yeah, okay. Well, to why Walls took a mark, 15 meters out and hit the post or something and, um, they didn't win the game, and therefore we didn't make the finals. And uh, the only way I knew that was uh, all the Collingwood supporters were cheering because they were listening into that game because we'd given Collingwood a pass at 76 in the last game. And uh, it was a pretty fiery game. It was Wiedemann's last game there as coach, and I suppose he, uh, he wanted to put a bit of pressure on the, the Melbourne Football Club for his last game. Made it, made it a pretty interesting game.
2: You were so close to breaking the finals throughout, weren't you?
1: Yes, we were. And I think we would have... um, And we were playing some terrific football. And uh, I think we would have... have, uh, I'm not saying we would have won it, but I'm telling you, we would have been very, very competitive in that series.
2: We're turning to Greg Wells on This Is Your Sporting Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We'll be back shortly to chat about Greg's move to Carlton.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
2: It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals. Demon's great. Greg Wells is our guest today. And in 1980, he made a mid-season switch to the Blues. And, Greg, your last game for Melbourne came halfway through that season, of course, 1980. You had 48 possessions. And the next week, you were a Blues player. How did that come to be?
1: Yeah, well, it's... um, Well, I don't really know, to be honest with you. uh, But the story, I've told the story on many occasions. And... um, the um, as much as I know about it, but I, I'm assuming because Barassi was going to leave North Melbourne in 19 at the end of the 80 season and come across to Melbourne in the 81 season, they were trying to uh, get some players. Uh, Croswell had come across; he was already at Melbourne in 80, and that was part of it, I think. Um, Billy Netterfeld also was come across; I think he also came from North Melbourne. So. There was a movement happening there. There was a movement happening there. and They didn't have many tradable players, Melbourne. was, you know, at, like I always remember Brent Croswell saying, well, they had you and Robbie Flower, and they weren't going to sell Robbie Flower, who was only 25 years of age. I was 30 years of age. They did a deal, and it was all done on a napkin. Um, David Robb and um, Dick Seddon and uh, Ian Rice and Wesley Lofts, so I think they... Ray out an agreement on a serviette or a napkin in a, in a restaurant. And the first I knew of it was um, after that game that uh, you mentioned previously there against Fitzroy, I also, in that particular game, injured my shoulder. And the following week against Footscray, I wasn't able to play. So at halftime, Ray Manley, who was the manager of the Melbourne Football Club at that stage, asked me if I wanted to go across to the Charlie Sutton room to have lunch. And I said, okay, and as we were walking across the ground, I said to him, who are we getting uh, midway through the year? We're we, we doing any trades halfway through the year? We're we getting rid of anyone? And he was very non-committal. And when we got to the room and we had some lunch, I remember Charlie Sutton saw me sometime later, well, we were months later. And he said, when you walked into that room, he said, everyone in that room knew you were going to Carlton except you. <laughs> so on the, uh, on the Saturday, night i had to go to a function and robbie flower has come to look after our children babies and our children robbie came and said hey where's losses on the phone i said you're kidding aren't you because we used to always play practical jokes on each other and he said no really where's losses on the phone so i went and i said hello and uh, as soon as he spoke i knew it was wes loft and he said I oh, it's wes here and i said how are you wes he said, good thanks. He said, How would you like to be a Carlton player? I said, No, nah, I'm pretty happy at Melbourne, thanks. <laughs> and he said, Well he said, Well, we've done a deal with the club. I said, Oh, oh, okay. Have you done a deal with the club I, I, I suppose I'm gonna be a Carlton player? He said, Where are you going to be tonight? I said, At the Windsor. He said, Right So that's around the corner from my place. I said, Where do you live? He said, South Yarra. I said, No, no, this is the Windsor in Dandenong. And he's gone, Oh, you're kidding, aren't you? I said, No And he said, well, I'll come down and see you. Do you mind if I bring the doctor? I said, no, no, you can bring the doctor. So they came down and they called me out into the foyer and uh, I was in my dinner suit and everything. And uh, I sat down and they asked me how my shoulder was. I said, yeah, no, it's all right. It's recovering. My ribs were sore and my knees were sore. I was getting acupuncture on, on my knees three times a week, you know, because of the pain. So they said, how's everything else? I said, that's fine. He said, well, he said, how much do you want? And I said, nothing. And he looked at me, and said, right. He, I said, just take over my contract from the Melbourne Football Club. So that's basically what they did. They they did a deal with the Melbourne Football Club. I think it was mentioned $200,000, which was a record in the history of the game. And there was a number of players involved in that, I think. Um, Michael Young and uh, Vinnie Gattio went across to Melbourne the following year Um and uh, I think that was all part of the all part of the deal, and um, the rest is history. Only that when I did get to the Carlton Football Club the following week, and you ought to talk about pressure? And Rice grabbed me, took me into a room. There's about two hundred Carltonian supporters there that uh, finance the club in different uh, ways, and, and Rice got me on stage. And he said, "Gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to the player that just cost this club two hundred
2: thousand dollars." And you're paying. <laughs>
1: that was a bit of
2: pressure. Fantastic, fantastic. And, uh, of course, as, as it's amazing how often this happens, Greg, your first game for Carlton is, of course, against Melbourne. Yes,
1: that's exactly right. Mm. Awkward? That um, was. I got booed and uh, trader and all of that. and No one from the Melbourne Football Club came out and told the real story. And uh, Actually, no one from the Melbourne Football Club rang me. And um, it wasn't until two or three week, weeks later that um, that Ian um, Ridley rang and uh, said that, uh, you know, he said to me his words or something to the actor, he said, you don't realise what a sacrifice you have made. The Melbourne Football Club is absolutely stuffed and broke and you've made an enormous sacrifice for this club and, you yeah, know, he was a car salesman, so... I'm not sure whether he, you know glossed up the story a bit, but um, <laughs> he, 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 he did say that no other uh, person in this club has run as I thought I'd ring you. That was, the, uh, that was the changeover.
2: That's great. And then later that year, of course, 1980, you, you end up playing your first two finals at Carlton. They were the 233rd and 234th games of your career, although they didn't pan out too well, obviously.
1: No, uh, well, look, I, I I will say my first. I think I played ten games
2: or something like that, and
1: I think uh, I don't think I could have played any better football really in those first. Um, well, certainly nine out of those ten games. My first final was was I didn't play well at all, and um, neither did anyone in the whole side. It was uh, we had a lot of injuries in the side, um, and we went out. We Richmond were. Very pumped up because we'd given them a hiding out at Princess Park. they were very pumped up, and they came out firing and 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 that we didn't even we didn't even get a run on so to speak and uh then the following week we we played Collingwood and we got beaten again but i i was I was able to play a lot better and just sort of prove my worth a little bit then.
2: But in '81 you make up for it, don't you? And it's a year that uh, uh, Carlton supporters remember very fondly. You play 22 games. There's 17 wins in there, and you get the premiership in the end with the Blues.
1: Yeah, no, that was that was fantastic, you know. And, that, and look,
2: and that was, uh,
1: uh, I think we won it by 20 points or something. But I think Collingwood were 20 points in front up to three quarter time. They were, they were amazing. You know, they they'd had a pretty hard finals run, Collingwood. And they themselves had a lot of injured players. They had blokes running around on one leg and so forth. So it was a credit to them to uh, to to get to the grand final and certainly be as competitive as they were. I mean, Carlton were a very very good side, very very good side. So that was that was no uh, easy win, I can tell you.
2: And the next year, the body just had enough. I assume, Gregor, thirty-one year old, you sued up for the eighty-two season, but. As I say, the body just doesn't quite allow you to get through the year, does it?
1: No, I was thirty. Yeah, I was thirty-two, and uh, so I, was play, I played some good footy and I played some bad footy. But the yeah, uh, I retired a bit earlier than um, than when I actually did retire. But um Parker said, "Oh no, don't do that! Don't do that! People don't remember your bad games; only remember your good ones I said, But I remember, them. and um, I said, "I'd rather retire now than down the track," you know. And look, uh, I was. I, Turning 32, um, I'd done it hard, like, not injury-wise. I was pretty lucky with injuries, but uh, there's a lot of wear and tear there. And uh, Mm -hmm. as as I said, I was getting acupuncture three times a week just to take the pain away from the knees and so forth. And the recovery, a bloke my size and so forth, the recovery takes a lot longer, too, after a game. And uh, when you're getting, um, I suppose... um, competing against, you own know, on our side, especially on the training nights. You, you had the, the Buckleys and the Harmses and the Sheldons and the Marcus and the Glascots and um, a lot of and the Wayne Johnsons, and a lot of these uh, younger players. They're all 10 years my junior, and uh, you soon realise that uh, your time's getting closer.
2: Well, your last game was round 14, 82. Of course, the Blues go on and they win back-to-back premierships. Were you with MCG on the day?
1: Um, yes, I was. Um, only in the background, uh, I never try and impose on something I'm not really a part of. Um, I always remember the boys, you know, they used to say, you could have played in two, you could have played in two, you know, they give it, used to give it three. But, but that was, yeah, look, you you, you really, if you, your time's come, it's come. Simple as that. And people say, would you make the same decision again? And I said, yes, I would. Yeah, most definitely. No one, uh, you know, I just wasn't playing to the capabilities that I I knew I could play to.
2: And was there a slim chance, though, Greg, you could have gone back to the Ds for one last time in 83? Uh,
1: Look, very slim, very slim. Um, I think it's a bit of a romance. bit of a romance. I I didn't. Uh, What I did do is, uh, where I started my football, uh, I, I, I wasn't going to play any football at all. But I said that I would. Uh, they were at me and happy to come back and help them start uh, Moorabbin Football Club. It was a combination of the Bentley Football Club and the McKinnon Football Club, and i were going back in the, uh, into the association to form the Moorabbin Football Club, um, which played in that competition many, many years prior to that. And um, I had some friend, friends or, or mates playing in that side and they were at me and at me and at me, and I relented in the end, and I finished up getting Gary Hardiman to come down as well. And we went back to try and help them out, and I said, I'm only playing whatever
2: happens. I'm only playing one year, and that's it, which I did. I played
1: one year, and that was uh, that was it.
2: Filling a coaching role, though, back at the Ds in the end. Life after footy took you down the coaching path. Did you ever have yeah, any desire back. to be a senior VFL coach?
1: Yeah, well, I did. I did at that stage. I was still pretty... Um, embedded in the game, and um, I I would have dearly have loved to coach Melbourne, but that wasn't to be. Um, I worked with Brassi for a couple of years, and um, then Norther came along and got the coaching job, and I was his assistant coach, a reserves coach, and uh, did that uh, up until 1988. That was 86, 87, 88, and three fairly successful years. Then I had a break for a couple of years and came back in 1990, was asked to come back by Stuart Spencer to sit on the board and be chairman of selectors of the football club under Northy again. And I did that uh, until I stayed on the board for a couple of years and was chairman of selectors uh, till 1996. And then uh, from 1996, I haven't been involved at all.
2: You mentioned the reserves, and you had, obviously, as you say, a stint there as reserves coach. A lot of debate at the moment, Greg, about what we do with the second-tier competitions around the country. Have you got an opinion on what should happen um, with the VFL or the reserve sides going forward? Well,
1: I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I don't know economically or, or financially whether it's viable or not, but I think the supporters have really loved to be able to watch a game before the main game. They'd really be to love to to watch that uh, affiliated side, reserve side, um, play beforehand. I, I think that they used to watch that game. And, yeah, and I played in, in some of those games when I was a kid. And they watch who's, who's going to come up and who will eventually play in the seniors and so forth. And I think that uh, the real diehards and the, the supporters, uh, they, like, they used to fill the ground there just watching the reserves. And um, yeah, I suppose they get two two goes at the ticket, the uh, the AFL. But uh, I think it would be terrific, even even I suppose uh, the the women's football. I mean, I think the uh, uh, curtain raiser would be terrific for people to watch.
2: The chairman of selectors, Tim Greg, and also your time served on the committee, of course, at Melbourne. You look at the '94 Demon side; it was a good one, wasn't it? You had Lyon, Schwartz, Neatsteins. you. You had a good finals run. You made a preliminary final against the Eagles. You head west to play at the Wacker, and it um, unfortunately all goes belly up.
1: Yeah, we didn't. Uh, we didn't pull it at all. Um, we got a bit of a belting over there. Um, it was a yeah. It was a very good side. A very good side, and um, um, unfortunately, uh, we didn't get past that prelim.
2: Was Robbie Flower as talented as a babysitter as he was with the boots on?
1: Most definitely. He loved playing
2: games. (laughs) Oh, He he played games with some of the best players on the park for a long period of time. I mean, where does he stand in your mind among the greats of the VFL?
1: Oh, look, I think I've said it before. When Robbie Flair had the ball, he wasn't a great uh, uh, possession gatherer. But when he had the ball, there was no better player with the ball. No better player with the ball at all. He's very, very talented. You know, he was he was lightly built. You know, had a very light frame and so forth. But uh, brilliant on both sides of his body. A great mark, and uh, his ability to be able to uh, sell the dummy on many occasions was second to none. You know, he's a very, very brilliant player. Where does he stand with the all-time? I'd never compare player against player, but uh, he's one. He's one of the best. There's no
2: doubt about it. How do you look at the current crop of Demons, Greg? When will we see this uh, flag drought broken, do you think?
1: Well, I think they've
2: got a way to go, personally. Um, I, they, they,
1: like, they kicking goals could be a bit of a problem. I know they can share it around, but how many times do you share it around? Uh, they, they, um, yeah, they just lack... Um, I think for Melbourne to do well this year, they, I think May and Lever have got to have reasonable years. They've got to play uh, a fair amount of the time and they've got to play well. They they hold two key positions there and that will give Melbourne the chance to um, rebound the ball out of uh, defence down to the forward line and give them more opportunities. Uh, but if, they're, if they show any weakness down the back end, I think it's going to be fairly tough for them to kick goals up the front end.
2: Well, thank you for the memories, Greg. I mean, it was a fair old journey at the top level at two of the proudest clubs in the caper. You really would have loved that flag at the Ds, but in the end, you got the premiership, your career richly deserved at the Blues. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you. Appreciate the call, Sam.
2: Thanks for your time, too. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We'll catch you next week, of course, to celebrate the life of another sporting icon.